Hello and welcome to Game Pass Forever. Now a standalone segment of Outside is Overrated. We have taken this segment from the main show of Outside is Overrated and now we're going to release it as a separate thing in your feed each month. For our game this month, our benevolent overlords on Patreon chose Hellblade, Sayuna's Sacrifice by Ninja Theory. Set in the Viking Age, a broken Celtic warrior embarks on a haunting vision quest into Viking Hell to fight for the soul of her dead lover. Created in collaboration with neuroscientists and people who experience psychosis, Hellblade, Sayuna's Sacrifice will put you deep inside Sayuna's mind. Joining us on this journey through the subconscious today are Hobbybox, Joe Burns. Hey yo, and it's Senua. 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 Oh goodness, what did I say? Sayuna. Oh, that's what you've Sayuna. said like multiple times accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Sayuna. I've had that problem literally since this game was released. I've been interested yep. in this game for a long time and I have never, never, never pronounced the name right. Now I've beaten the game. I still can't get the name right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, Ninja Theory, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Uh, it's not your fault. It's not you. It's me. Also, joining us tonight are Dr. C. Casey Helene. Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? If it uh, if it sounds like I'm a little disjointed and like I'm just winging this show with no plan or preparation or like any prep work at all, it's because I just had a baby and I have baby brain. So, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Times are wild. You can read it all about read all about it in my column when it comes out a little later this month. But uh, we don't need to promote outsideisoverrated.com right now. We're here to talk about Hellblade. And I just won't say the subtitle anymore. I will, from here on out, refer to this game as Hellblade. And the main character is Hellblade's pro- protagonist. I, know, I can't even say that. <laughs> I can't say Protagonist. I can't say anything. I cannot believe that people pay money for my, the drivel that comes flowing out of my mouth. Thank you both for your support. <laughs> now, I nominated this game for Game Pass Forever. I knew that it was developed by a small team and was sort of a short action-adventure RPG with very high production values. It was made by the team that made Heavenly Sword, Enslaved Odyssey to the West, and DMC Devil May Cry. Uh, starting off, have you guys played any of those games? For me, I had played a couple hours of Enslaved Odyssey to the West, and I just hated it. I hated it. I loathed that game with a burning, fiery passion and bounced off it so hard. Later, I found out it had a really good plot twist at the end, and I thought about going back. But after playing Hellblade, spoiler alert, I'm not going to do that. What, what was it that you hated so much? They Every board started out like the main character in that game would throw out this drone, and it'd say, scanning the environment or some stupid thing, and it would say it constantly. And I just didn't think it was that fun like the fun to frustration ratio was way out of whack for me in that game more or less annoying than the dinklebot in original destiny i actually didn't mind the dinklebot in original destiny that much like i didn't think it was a very good performance by any means but uh it didn't grate on me much i just you know it was just kind of filler for me casey have you played any of those titles no i have not played uh any any titles by this developer and burns what about you yeah so i've i've played the first few hours of uh dmc devil may cry which was the attempted reboot of the devil may cry series after devil may cry 4 which was mostly developed internally by capcom uh and it was a a little bit different take but it still had a lot more of like the really fast-paced action uh the difference with that was it seemed well. They they changed the protagonist Dante quite a bit, um, which was one of the things that I, I think a lot of people bounced off of because they were so familiar with how Dante always used to be and some of the characters used to always be. Uh, so I think that's why then they ended up jumping back to Devil May Cry Five and sort of going back into the main numbering of the series away from DMC, uh, which was Ninja Theory's efforts. I thought that combat was fun. Uh, it was more fast paced than what uh, Senua's Sacrifice was, uh, but. Uh, it was an interesting game. It just wasn't the type of thing that kept my attention for a very long time. Sure. So we, none of us really came in with much of a notion about this developer. I actually, I for, I didn't realize that they had done Enslaved Odyssey to the West until I started doing more research for the show. So like I came in pretty much with a blank slate for Hellblade. Let's break down this experience, starting with the production values. This game starts off with a remarkable sequence where you're paddling a boat through a foreboding environment with dead bodies everywhere. There are voices whispering in your head. And for me, it's one of the most remarkable opening sequences that I've played in any game in quite a while. 
What were your initial impressions of this journey to hell, and did the production hold up through the entire experience? Casey, let's start with you. I thought the initial sequence was really amazing. Uh, visually, I was extremely impressed. Um, I also played with the headphones on, which was recommended, so you could hear all the voices coming at you from all the different angles. I'm so glad you brought that up. I played with surround sound, same effect, sounded just incredible. Very cool, yeah. Uh, I'm glad. I, if you don't have, if you are going to play this game, definitely do that. Either either wear headphones or have some sort of surround sound because it, it really, really added to the experience. The one interesting thing I noticed, and maybe I have a setting set wrong on my Xbox, but when I have my earbuds plugged in, the sound still came through my TV, even if I had my my headset on at the same time. It was the weirdest thing. I never noticed that with any other game, um, but I guess I'm not sure. Did you Did you guys notice that at all? Did you notice that, Casey? Uh, I didn't, but I had the volume up fairly high, so I don't know if I would have been able to hear it coming through my TV, even if I would have taken my headphones off. I had an experience like that when I first started playing on the PS5. Huh. Yeah, well, maybe we're not very tech-savvy people. <laughs> I mean, anyone who has watched Casey try to plug in a headset to connect a Discord to record the show would be aware. <laughs> Every time, too. Every time. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the, it's um, like a consistent warm-up routine for the show. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it, but yeah, so back to the game. The, the, produ- <laughs> the, the production, for me, I did hang on through the whole experience. So um, I loved... For the most part, all the you know the different voices and things, um, and you know it was really the production was one of the strong points of of this game through the entire playthrough. Mernsey, what was your take on the production values? Uh, so, like the very beginning of the game actually really reminded me of God of War. Uh, it has like a similar, just very over the shoulder, tight into the main character camera angle that the remake God of War from whatever year that was, 2016, did on the PlayStation. So you're saying that God of War was derivative of Hellblade? Uh, possibly. I, they they definitely took like that similar angle. That's for sure. And the combat felt similar now i think god of war's combat had a lot more complexity to it and you get a lot more abilities than you do with senua i mean which is because you're playing as a god uh, right in one game and here you're just this normal person um well i mean calling senua normal is maybe not the best term for her but uh you know i mean she's just like a normal fighter she doesn't have like these massively huge abilities she does have some special abilities but nothing to the level of what kratos has uh but uh, so, and then also it's giving you sort of that Norse vibe because this kind of takes place in that, in a similar type of setting, right? I mean, you have Odin, you have a lot of the gods and everything like that. And so I think they did a really good job of building that setting early uh, and getting you to sort of understand that aspect of it, as well as like the voices in the head. They did a really good job of setting that up and kind of leading you into this combat that you're having and, and sort of the sporadic combat that you you go through throughout the game and like visually even though i don't think the game looks incredible anymore granted i'm playing it on an xbox series s and i was playing it i'm playing it on a tv that i bought in 2007 so maybe that's part of it but the graphics like don't hold up to what you see on like ps4 ps5 uh now like the most recent games that have come out on those systems i would say I don't think the graphics are necessarily cutting edge anymore, but I do think it's a good-looking game. I think it, they're still very, very strong. Yeah, and, and, and what I would say is, like, where it shines is the level that they are able to capture facial animation in this game is astounding. Uh, like, when you are, like, seeing Senua go through all of these different emotions, like, you see, like, all the pieces of her face kind of mold and contort as she's kind of just just like all these different things are running through your head and you can see kind of that pain and agony and 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 whatever feeling she has coming through that it's also a lot of the times like when you're looking at video games like the eyes are the part that become like the uncanny valley of a video game where like 
the face maybe looks like a realistic face, but then the eyes are sort of weird. And this is one of the first games where like the eyes looked on point almost all the time, like and, and they were darting all over the place. And they did a fantastic job of capturing that, I think. Just a real quick aside, for as fantastic as Marvel Spider-Man looked on PlayStation 4 when it came out, like how bad were Peter Parker's eyes? Like they were just yeah. unnerving. Like imagine if uh, oh gosh, I can't say your name. And Senua Senua? Did I say right? Hey! Hooray! <laughs> we can be taught if Senua's eyes had been in Peter Parker's body, that would have been remarkable. <laughs> yeah, I could I couldn't agree with what you're saying more about that, Joey. Her 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 face and like after the battles and things like that, like what they did, like with the the scarring and then like the the darkness, which we'll talk about later, creeping up her her arm and stuff. Just how her her face changed and how her body like just all the the just non-stop barrage that she got kind of through this journey and how every everything changed her they did i think they did a really really good job with that yeah and, and i mean that was one of their main focuses was like on like the facial capture specifically and and because that was a lot of also along with the voices like really getting into what senua is experiencing uh and i think that technology that they created is the reason why Melina Jurgens, who did, who acted as Senua, who hadn't acted in a game before, she basically was just a motion capture person for Ninja Theory. Why she won like best performance awards against all of the best voice actors that year because they caught her entire performance and she did so much with, uh, with that technology to to sort of push things that much farther out, uh, which I think which I think was really awesome. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. The fact that she wasn't an actress, like that she wasn't an acting talent that they paid for and brought in, that she was just a person on staff that filled in. And it's mind-blowing the performance that she delivered. And it was just hats off to her. And like the team that worked on this, I know it was a small team. Like technically, I think this game is just phenomenal. I think they did just phenomenal work. I think that the sound design for this game might be the best in all of games. Yeah, it's it's really good. They did so many fantastic things uh, with just the sound effects and how everything kind of went together. Uh, I think also sort of, uh, yeah, I, I think it all really adds to the mood of everything that's going on and does a really good job of, of getting you to be in the role of Senua. Well, let's move from the production values on this game to combat. I expected it to play more of a role, frankly. You have several encounters with slow but deadly enemies. You can dodge, parry, make light or heavy attacks, or kick. What were our impressions of the combat? Casey, let's start with you. Uh, I really liked the combat, uh, especially once I kind of figured out some of the right combos versus the different enemies. The thing I didn't like was that the battles seemed to go on and on and on. So... um, especially more in the end game like the beginning you were just fighting one or two at a time and that was felt right to me <laughs> uh, um boss battles um kind of the same way uh, you know exciting at first but in the end became a little a little bit stale um the waves of enemies like say were just kind of the same as they were coming at you uh the only real challenge was dealing with more than one at a time when they would throw three four at you and you'd have to you know back up and time everything right um yeah then you could just evade away usually getting behind them single out a target um the only real real time i was extremely frustrated with this game was that dog battle <laughs> and that thing just sucked <laughs> yeah that the battle casey's referring to was a boss fight near the end of the game and it was just about the end point of this game for me because it was super duper frustrating. Uh, I have a slightly different take on the combat, but Joey, let's hear your perspective first. Uh, first, I have to have a little bit of a humble brag. I did beat Fenrir on my first go through. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I think it was one of those things where I realized early, you just got to dodge. You got to dodge the heck out of it and then really make your hay when you do the focus ability on on. On, on on the animal and just just hack 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 as much as you could but uh i i actually i did also really like the combat i, I it doesn't so it like we were talking a lot about the voices before those are integral because you're so in close to senua and they don't put like indicators on the screen 
that, oh, enemies are over here and over here. Like, there's no HUD for that type of stuff. And so it's the voices queuing you up, like, behind you, behind you, or, or, or whatever. And the voices will come from that direction. And you know, oh, crap, I've got to move, like, in, like, two seconds. Otherwise, I'm going to get smoked here. Uh, don't let them surround you, you know. I thought that was such an interesting way to do that and not cloud the screen up with a bunch of indicators or anything, which I thought was which I thought was really well done. I think the parrying, I know like on our Bloodborne episode, we talked about the parrying and how hard it was to find tells against things. And granted, I think that was by design uh, from like from software made that decision. Uh, but I think the parry timing with this game like always made sense. Like, you run into a guy that has a ranged attack for the first time in the game, and I could see the glint on the axe when I had to hit it. I could hit it and parry the axe out of the way right back at him, and it was like I knew what was coming at me. Now, granted, it gets more frantic when you have more enemies coming at you and you have three guys to look at you and you're not sure which one's going to attack, and that's where some of the difficulty comes in. But then that comes to, like, how do you maneuver around to manage the combat? Um, I think... I also really liked that mixing up the weak and strong attacks in sort of different patterns would lead to a slightly different combo that you would see Senua go through on the screen. So like that, that nuance of the animations, and then that would also lead to maybe a slightly different finisher. And also how some of those attacks evolve as you get through more combat in the game and she turns into more of a badass. Like, I think, I think that was also pretty interesting as you move through. Uh, one of the things that I really liked also was using the focus ability in combat. So once you're able to start using focus, which you use focus in the puzzle aspects of the game, which we'll talk about a little bit much more so, uh, but you use that in combat to basically slow down time. So the enemies are going to be moving much slower, but you can move kind of at your normal rate. And that's one of the pieces that really allows you to work around enemies that you can't attack from the front because they have shields or they're like charging at you. That's what would allow you to get the advantage on that. And I think it was really cool how they had the light building up on her hip as an indicator to say, Oh, Hey, this is built up now. I think sometimes that was a little hard to discern, uh, because it would be building up and it looks like it was ready, but it wasn't because I'd hit the button and it wouldn't do it. Uh, but for the most part, I thought that was a pretty cool implementation of what you use for the puzzles in the combat also. I agree that it was a pretty interesting mechanic. I struggled with that a little bit, though, especially later in the game. There was a boss fight early in the game where you had to focus because he would basically turn into smoke. And when you focus, he becomes material again, and then you can hit him. I thought it was really cool in that instance. Later in the game, some of the common enemies would turn into smoke and they'd, it would be multiples at a time or it'd be one like right after another. And so like you'd burn your focus to turn them solid, then you hit them, and then you'd have to wait for it to recharge. It's like, well, I guess just run away until my focus recharges. And I thought that was exceptionally frustrating. Yeah, I, well, and, and, and some of that could be mitigated by like trying to position yourself then. and Because I think it fills up more if you do some parries and stuff like that. And so I think that also helped to rebuild that gauge quite a bit more. Um, I know in some of the later combats where it was a lot harder to parry, it filled up a little bit less so, but then again, if it throws an enemy at you that it that you need to have it for, it usually is pretty gracious at kind of boosting it back up and giving you the ability to use that. There's another uh, thing about combat. When you get knocked down, like sometimes you can get back up. Sometimes the enemies will finish you off. I had no idea how that worked. Like I just, if I got knocked down, I'd be frantically hitting all the buttons yeah. and hoping that I pop back up. Yeah I, yeah. I would basically be hitting the a button, right? The bottom button is the a button. Um, I get mixed up because the a and the B button are flip flop between the switch controller and the Xbox controller. So it throws me off, but the bottom button, uh, uh, for the face buttons, uh, I just, I just mash that because then when I would get up, I would roll, like I would parry away, like I'd roll away for evade away from them uh, when that would happen. Um, that was one of the things, though, the evading that I thought felt a little like awkward at times. And it was mostly once you started to get surrounded by enemies that you really couldn't tell where people were. And so you'd be trying to evade your way out of things and you just couldn't. Uh, and I think the other issue similarly is when you get into slow motion time and the focus time, it's really hard to move and close the gap 
as quickly as you'd want to. And so I would basically just keep spamming the evade button to hope that that would allow me to roll towards the enemy so that I could hit it. Because otherwise, if you're going towards it and it's moving slowly, it's not coming at you. Like, you'll use up half your focus just to get to the dang guy. And then, like, you won't be able to get the hits in that you need to uh, while you have that, uh, that, uh, that ability in place. It's interesting to me that you guys both like the combat so much. I thought it was a low point of the game. I didn't particularly care for it. To me, it felt derivative of, like, the Souls games, specifically of Bloodborne, because the dodge was kind of like a Bloodborne dodge. I don't know. It um, it felt clunky. There weren't very many enemies, and it just didn't do very much that interested me. I think there were five basic enemy types that you faced throughout the entirety of the game and a handful of bosses. There are a couple of boss fights early. Valraven stands out to me. I thought they were really fun to fight, the first couple of bosses you came across. But after that, I was just... I was really bored with the combat. Like, the dodge, it it worked, but it didn't work all that well. Late in the game, you get into some smaller environments, like the bridge right at the end, and they throw a bunch of enemies at you, and suddenly, like, I was up against the edge, couldn't dodge anymore, and I was literally pinned down and just getting wailed on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, oh, go ahead, Casey. No, I was... The, the, I like the combat... It, it, the way that it was structured. Like I like the parry, I like the dodge aspect of it, but I, I agree with you hundred percent on the I wish there were more types of enemies that we faced um as you as you went on, like nothing evolved. It was just kind of like they would just throw a lot more of them at you, which just kind of pissed me off towards the end more yeah. than anything. So. A lot a lot more and no checkpoints in between. So like in the sea of corpses there you run into maybe twelve enemies right in a row and like if yeah. Luck runs out at enemy 10, 11, or wherever, and a couple of those enemies are pretty tough, like the big dude with the axe. Pretty challenging. Yeah, and I think it, it that becomes like a problem, especially sometimes when the checkpointing uh, can go back quite a ways. Uh, I know I had that a couple of times leading up to the bridge near the end of the game where I died in a combat and then, oh, I got to go through this and look at this bridge again to get a chunk of it and do this other thing and then I can have this fight. And I think they also telegraphed where the fights were going to be a little bit too much. There was at least like three or four times in the game where I'd walk through this big circular room and I'd be like, oh, Next time I come back through here, I'm going to have a fight. And then, yeah, here we go. <laughs> so uh, that that's something that they maybe could have done a little bit more with. And I'm hoping with the sequel that that is something that they do do a lot more with. Yeah, I know that a lot of people want combat in their games to make it more interesting. But I would have honestly felt better with this experience if there was less combat, if it was more spaced out and just less of a... Uh lots of those areas where they just throw dude after dude after dude like the same handful of dudes at you again and again yeah i think i think more enemy variation uh maybe would have helped um and and just different types of combat encounters too so maybe if there was somewhere it wasn't just you're in this round area fighting them and then you move on like you have to try to do certain things while this is going on. So you're moving from point A to point B and trying to navigate through the enemies and maybe not killing them all and then moving. But I think if they could do more of that to add a little bit different variations to the combat, I think that would be really interesting. And if you had like this ax that you could throw and then resum, like summon back to you, like Thor's hammer, that would be pretty badass too. <laughs> yeah. And, and a kid that was shooting arrows at them at the same time. Yeah. That'd be pretty rad. Uh, the realism of, Oh God! I have to say your name again, Senua. Hey! Hooray! <laughs> the realism of Senua going on this journey means that she has her sword, and there's no weapon variety, and that's just kind of something that I missed from kind of a fantasy style game. Like I, the sword was fine, but it would have been nice to have some sort of weapon variety or some sort of choice or agency in how she was outfitted. Get an upgraded sword. <laughs> 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 Woo. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. which you have to do some awesome puzzles for, which I think we're going to talk about here in a second. <laughs> what a transition. A surprisingly large chunk of this game has you exploring the environment and solving environmental puzzles. What did we think of this element of the game? Bernsey, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah. Uh, so probably out of the three of us, I'm the person that's much more like interested in puzzles in games and likes puzzles in games uh for this game uh it 
<laughs> I, I, I enjoyed what they were trying to do. And one of the aspects that I do like, so most 90% of the puzzles that you're doing in this game are basically, you see these runes on a door that's locked. And then you have to move around in the environment and try to find how you can see those runes in the environment. And I think, so the, the interesting thing that I thought of in this is, is one part of like, you know, poor mental health or psychosis or something like that is seeing symbols, like the same symbols or the same recurring things in the environment over and over and over again. And it's like something anybody else would see. They don't see it that way, but you see it as this rune or this rune or this rune. And I thought that was something, at least a connection that I made in there in my head, whether it's intentional or not, that I thought was kind of interesting to give this character that is having these mental health issues that this is the key to kind of get her to keep moving on is to keep seeing these symbols in the environment. Uh, I thought that was an interesting, uh, an interesting aspect to it. And that is super accurate. That was what they were going for with it. They, okay. Uh, with their consultations that they did with people that suffer from psychosis, that was one of the things they gleaned from it and worked really hard to implement in the game. Yeah. And, uh, uh, sorry. I, and not I don't want to give too much away either, but we actually do learn too, like what just to what you're following or talking about, Tom, is that part of Senua's past, you know, she's locked up by her father and she's in this room and he's kind of eating her and seeing all this lore and runes and stuff like that. So part of what she's experiencing now are these same runes in her head to unlock these different parts of her journey. So that it did kind of make sense once we actually found out about that more through the gameplay so narratively it makes sense uh, psychologically it makes sense was it fun no I, yeah i don't think so like i'm i'm the type of a person that will give a lot of leeway for puzzles in games but yeah i agree with casey like eventually it just was not interesting anymore the first hand- it just wasn't I agree. I agree totally. The first couple of instances, it's like, okay, yeah, all right, neat, all right. So this door is unlocked. You mean I have to find some more now? And now I have to find some more? And now I have to find some more? Like, it is so many ruins for so many locked doors. Uh, Casey, you texted something pretty interesting at the end. Yeah, like, (laughs) I just thought it was really funny. Like, so you're hearing all these voices in your head, and, uh, I can't, I can't remember exactly what they say, but like it's right towards the end of the game. And like, you've done like, I don't even know. It feels like a hundred of these, these rune puzzles to get through these doors and the voices in your head are talking to you. And one of the voices says, Oh, another, another rune or, Oh, so many runes. These runes are just a waste of time. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, even the voices in your head are saying it. It was like, I, I just started laughing so much. Like, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe it that the, uh, that actually was, was said. And I was like, I, for about I actually, four hours. <laughs> I actually never heard that. I don't think that's in the game. I think you were starting to hear voices in your head, Casey. <laughs> Uh, that that may be, but I'm 99% sure that's what it was. <laughs> it's, to me, it's a bummer that they leaned so hard into this mechanic. It, The exploration in this game, I thought, was also really disappointing. Like, there were just, like, hallways that you walked through, or maybe, like, a forest that was ostensibly a hallway that you just needed to get from one end to the other. And games like this can do things to make that sort of exploration interesting one that jumps out to me is tomb raider like the tomb raider reboot from i don't know 2014 2016 whenever that came out like i really enjoyed scouring those environments for all the different like stuff and trinkets and collectibles that were hidden everywhere i thought that was super interesting and super fun in this game in hellblade just having those runes to find and making them a mandatory part of the process was super maddening and i had to call in phoenix a couple of times because i was just done with it i was trying so hard to just progress through this game and get to the end and it's like honey i don't know where this stupid thing is i know i'm supposed to be standing right around here because all the runes are floating in the air can can you help and she did and my wife is wonderful and and i think some of the other perspective-based things were decent you just didn't do it enough to really get used to how to do that so like there's some instances where you have to look at an area from a different direction and then it will complete like a bridge or a pathway over to another 
another like ledge or something like that. And I thought some of those were interesting, but they also didn't really telegraph very well. And so there was at least one instance where like, I didn't know how I was supposed to proceed. I had no clue. I looked everywhere. And then it was like, oh, I guess I had to look at this chunk of wall from this direction. And hey, it's a doorway now, you know? I had that exact same experience. It was uh, uh, like up in the castle part where there's a little shipwreck shipwreck that you can climb down onto and you have to look up at a certain angle and it turns into steps. And like I was just furious. I'm like, what's going on? Like I can tell there's something blurry in the sky here. What does that mean? And there's like no explanation of it. And that was yeah. just a super frustrating point for me. Yeah, that was – First Go time ahead. that was the yeah that was the very first time that you actually had to solve that puzzle and like you said there was absolutely zero explanation like none of the voices in your head are helping you out it was yeah like you said just kind of a weird blur in the sky and if you didn't hit it at that right angle it's like oh there it is <laughs> I made <Yeah>. stairs <laughs> that that was the one thing I had to look up in this game like I I I was able to figure everything else out some of them like it got a little maddening at times uh, but. Uh, that was the one thing, that one piece specifically that I had to look up. Um, so I think if they would have had more of a variation or an interspersing of those different types of puzzles and maybe another one or two that would be similar uh, but a little bit tweaked, I think that could have gone a long way to spicing it up a little bit more so that some of that stuff didn't become a slog. And I think they, they did an admirable job of trying to throw in, like, uh, throw in story so you hear a couple of voices that are like telling you aspects of either the mythology that's tied to what you're doing uh, or or just in general, like like the narration of Senua uh, that she has going on in her head sometimes. Uh, and I think some of that stuff helps fill in some of those gaps. But then at other times, you're really just kind of like slowly jogging from point to point. Uh, and and it, 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 it's, it really bogs things down. Like there's pacing that becomes an issue with a lot of those pieces. Um, I think one of the parts where it actually was a little bit better were in the four, uh, what are they called? Uh, were they like the challenge, not the challenge runes. What were the, the four the shards, the shards, the shards. Yeah. Um, I think those were a little bit more interesting just because each one was a, was different from the other one and, and did a good job of, of, of giving you a different, sense of place uh between the rest of them and and so i thought that part was a little bit better and you didn't really overstay your welcome in any of them they kind of went relatively quickly some of them were a little maddening to try to figure out all the pieces of them uh but i think those were better aspects of them they tweaked stuff just a little bit for each one to make it seem individual from the rest the uh the swamp shard was quite the experience super duper oh, frustrating oh my god I was the first one to play through that of you, you guys, and I was like, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't wait for you guys to have to go through it because I don't know if you struggled as much as I did trying to get out of that goddamn barn, but it was like, <laughs> I don't know how many times I died. Like, it's a maze that you go yeah. through, so you have to kind of learn the maze. And, like, there is, like, a light that you kind of have to follow, but you can't directly follow it because you're running through a maze. And also, as you're running through the maze, you have to line up some more of these stupid runes. And it's like... All the while, there's a fire, like, burning through the barn, chasing you. And it was, <laughs> besides the dog, it was the second most frustrating part of the game for me. It was just maddening. Well, and, and I think the other really rough thing with that part is there's aspects of it where you have to duck under, like, a half wall to go to the other thing. And there were countless times where I'm trying to turn a corner and I just go underneath one of those walls and it's like, no, that's not where I want you to go. No. And then by the time you try to recover, you're going to be engulfed by the fire or the berserkers. It's like kind of a combo platter of things that are coming at you to kill you. Uh, and so, yes, that part was frustrating because of just trying to figure out the maze. But then also sometimes you just get locked into an animation and you're just storming down a different path, and you're like, I have no control over this anymore. So yeah, that part, I did die quite a few times at that part also. It was frustrating. Super frustrating. Another thing they did with the puzzles that I struggled with, I think it is a neat concept, but it drove me kind of crazy in the game, where they have these vision gates, where you're walking around an environment, and this tree is lying over this thing, and there's debris over here, and there's and something else going on over here. And then you either look through or walk through this gate and suddenly something in the environment has changed and now there's a new path. 
but it didn't always click for me when that was happening. And so, like, there were times I was trying to solve puzzles, and I had no idea that the solution wasn't, like, on the table and that I had to walk through this stupid gate. It, was, it wasn't until those shard challenges where I... I had to look up the swamp shard to get into the stupid burning bar. And then I'm like, oh, that's what those gates that I've been dealing with for three quarters of this game are for. <laughs> and it's, I thought implementation wise, it was really interesting because like you can walk around it and the environment's one way. And then if you even look through it, suddenly the environment's different. And I thought that was a really cool thing. But oh, from a gameplay perspective, I did not care for the vision gates. Did you guys have opinions on them? No, they, I don't know. They didn't really bother me as much. So I, they didn't uh, seem to pick up on it right away. Um, yeah, I know you had to use them. Um, you had to find, use them to find Valraven. Valraven. That's, I couldn't think yeah. of the, the boss's name. Yeah. So that was the other, I think the other area of the, of the experience where you had to use those. I, there were... oh, go ahead, Casey. Sorry. Oh, just, yeah. That once, once I picked it up in that one, I, I it wasn't, that hard the hardest part for me was figuring out like just which side you had to go through like to, to yeah. make the change work so i found myself kind of running in circles around them quite a, quite a bit yeah that that's that's what happened is sometimes i would get like, like turned around between a couple of them and i would go backwards through one then it would just throw me off and i would just get myself turned around and and maybe that's part of what they were trying to go with on that um but uh talking about i think it was Leading up to one of the boss battles um, was another, like, frustrating point for me. There's a couple of times, and this kind of maybe goes back to, like, our medium discussion. There's a couple of times where you just got to run ahead and just run ahead. And, uh, like, the voices tell you, just keep running, just keep running. And the first time I did that, I still died. And so then I'm like, okay, so am I supposed to dodge the fire or something? And so... I, like, there was that one where you're sprinting from one side of the map all the way to the other one, and everything's, like, on fire and falling around you. And it was just, like, it took... I died, like, five or six times. And I, I felt like the first time I did it, I shouldn't have died because that's what I had to do the last time. And it got me just thinking, like, okay, do I have to try to dodge this and slow down while this falls so I don't get the flames? And, and it just, like... I think some of that stuff was just a little clunky uh, uh, and when, when you had to, when it just puts you on rails and you just got to like bolt through because sometimes you just die and it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like I did what you wanted me to do. <laughs> what do you want from me to do game? Yeah, there were, I think two instances that I can remember where you had to do that. First one was when you were fighting the fire boss uh, where you had to like kind of memorize part of the map beforehand. They were hinting at, and then once the fire came, the environment completely yeah. changed. You had to run through the fire. The second is when you are going into fight Fenrir, so the dog, and he's chasing you through that dark corridor, and you have to get to the light. And I, 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 I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but that happened to me three or four times. Where the first time I ran, I ran all the way straight through to the end, and I and I died. I'm like, okay, so that obviously isn't the way that I what I was supposed to do. And then I did it a second time and I'm like, okay, if I turn left here, oh, there's a spot. So I run down there and it's all complete darkness and I died. I'm like, son <laughs> of a bitch, there must be another door. So like you try to do it again and like I died three or four times and then in the, in the end, I just ended up running all the way back down to the end of the first corridor like I did and then it triggered like some sort of part of the story and I'm like, well, that's what I did the first fucking time. <laughs> like, I, I, like what, what the hell, you know? Like, <laughs> So, uh, see, I don't know if they just wanted to get the story across or, or what, but like, yeah, it was definitely the running parts were were, were another frustration. Yeah, the the one the one where I had the problems was leading up to the big sword guy when you fight him, um, and you have to like you're running across the area and then you have to go up this incline and like the trees are falling and you kind of like sprint in there. I mean, we don't have to get bogged down on it, but yes. So those parts, I think, were, were frustrating just because you do what they say and you still fail, and so then it, it just throws you off. And, and maybe that's what they wanted to do with it too, but that doesn't lead necessarily to a rewarding gameplay experience from my perspective. Yeah, there were some challenges. <laughs> another, uh, another, well, the key element of this game is the story. It depicts Senua's, did I say it right? So, mm -hmm. You did. Yes. Yeah, you oh my it. gosh, I'm on a roll. 
it, it depicts Senua's battle with psychosis. What are our impressions of the protagonist? Casey, you're up. I really liked playing as Senua. Uh, we talked about visually how awesome her character was, like just as, as she developed. I thought it was very interesting. She was a lot younger than I thought. She was probably the youngest female protagonist that I have ever witnessed in a game. I just thought that was an interesting choice that they made. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Um, never say like exactly how old she is in the game, but yeah, you can definitely tell she is she is on the younger side. Um, I really thought it was interesting how we learned little bits about her her past as the as the game unraveled. Voices you hear constantly in your head were were very unique uh, for the gameplay. Uh, I actually wish they would have done more with them though. Most of the time they were just kind of a guide in the game telling you when to dodge or block or wherever you were going the right way in a level. Well, one thing that I thought was really interesting with the voices was they were really negative at times. Like when in that opening sequence, when Senua is paddling in and she's seeing like these corpses strung up all over the place, and the voices are saying, they're going to do this to you. And like, they're saying it a lot and it's really, they're really dark and negative And mm-hmm. uh, I, I loved those voices. I thought they did a phenomenal job with it. I thought they were really interesting. I think one of my real, one of my favorite aspects uh, was how they used that to show some of the, the inner turmoil. So, like when you get into uh, uh, like a, a battle that's really heated, and it's like you can't do this, you run away, you can't do this. Uh, but then you'll have the other voices, no, fight, fight, you've got this. And I just thought that that was really an interesting way to show the kind of fight or flight instincts, sort of fighting inside of a person. Uh, which I think was was really well done also and interesting. I thought it was really thought-provoking because it's not something I've really experienced in games or in really anything before, Having hearing those different voices. And there are people in the world that really live with that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. that uh, I mean, granted, their circumstances are different. They're not on a Viking vision quest and seeing maybe all these dead bodies all over the place. But like the fact that people really go through that, like it... Uh, it made me think about things that I'd never really thought about before. And I really appreciate that about this experience. Yeah. And I think Senua had four specific voices in her head at, at times through this game. Two of the voices were hers. And I think like you hinted, like one of them was kind of the negative. One of them was a little bit more the positive. Uh, the other one was Dillian, who is her boyfriend, who she's trying to bring back from the dead. And then the other we find out is her father. And that was like, one like towards the end of the game that was extremely negative most of the time like telling her that you know like super deep and like telling her like to give up like you know why are you doing this you know that sort of thing um and then we did hear uh her mother a few times so i guess that you know at some point in time to the maybe her mother's voice is in her head too uh the imagery in the game for me though overall did more kind of to to convey Senua's battle with psychosis over the voices in her head. The voices in her head, like I said, were just felt like they were more guide and like I'm not one, you know, like I I don't know what it's like to deal with psychosis, but you know, besides like maybe the pulling and pushing of the voices going in your head, um most of the time in this game like they were just kind of like dodge duck you know like telling you what, what to do which i thought was kind of interesting you know like you wouldn't think that a voice in your head would be able to see people behind you as you're in combat um and it was more just the as you're going through these levels seeing the all this the, the imagery that she's creating in her in her mind that to me like really hit home more for the the psychosis that she was dealing with well and i think also then like the aspect where so, you know, we talked about how she has her father in her head and like it gets increasingly, increasingly negative. Uh, but then the only time she can actually get her mother in her head is when she finds her mother's face in the environment. And I thought it was really interesting because it didn't explain that that's who that was the first time you see that. There was one time in like, I think it's the second map where you find sort of this face in this waterfall and you can go up to it and focus on it and it'll talk to you. And then the next time you see one of those in like a stone face, it like actually explains this is your, like your, this is your mother talking to you, Uh, which I thought was just super interesting. And then looking back on it, that juxtaposition of 
she has to seek out her mother. Um, even though she maybe has a lot in common with her mother compared to her father, but yet her father is the one that's inside her head tormenting her all the time. So I think all of those different like aspects of it were so really well thought out and really well done. Um, I, I So, or as well done as a lot of that stuff was and, and how they did a good job of making it confusing to play as Senua, which for this game is a compliment because that's what they were trying to do. But the, and I'm not going to jump into spoilers about it, but I think the ending kind of went to a place where I thought it was going to go, but I think it ended up being confusing in a bad way uh, in that it took me out of the game kind of being like, is that really what you're doing? Like, I don't know. There was aspects of how a lot of that at the end kind of played out that just didn't quite land really perfectly with me. Um, and I don't want to like go into too many details about it. And I don't even know if I can fully explain why, but it just, it just felt, it just didn't land correctly to me. Well, that's interesting. I have a different perspective. I kind of liked the ending moment. I'm like, Oh, that's what was going on here. That's, what the key internal struggle was about. Uh, we can talk about it more offline, but I kind of liked how it wrapped up. I was also confused. I don't know if I put all the pieces together. I don't know if I have the full picture, but my interpretation of it, I'm happy with the way that it wrapped up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we're jumping into the narrative. Next question here. But I think, you know, the narrative in the story to me was, was really, really good. Like I, I really liked how the story unfolded as we as we got to learn how Senua became so tortured, like her past and everything like that. Um, I really, I really liked the ending, kind of like you, Tom. Like it's sort of like as we're getting these little pieces at the end, it was like, oh, okay. Um, it, it just kind of made me really stop and think about everything that I had just played through, um, and a lot of the frustrations of. The gameplay itself to me just kind of went, you know, like I, I'm, I'm glad I went through those frustrations to get to the end because if I would have stopped at some point in time, uh, I would have been mad that, that I didn't get to, to see and, and know um, exactly what we were dealing with because the, the whole time you're playing, you're kind of wondering like how much of what you're seeing is real, how much of it is in her head, and in the end you, you, you learn exactly exactly that. Yeah, I think for me, I think there's, I don't know, there's just some weird choppiness and that the ending isn't maybe as smooth as it possibly could be, um, especially seeing as how I was thinking leading up to it that that's the direction they were going in with with answering some of those questions that you were talking about, Casey. Um, so I think, I think that was it. I think there's just a couple of the different, like, weird things that they did that just, it just threw it off. It, it it added an extra like weird stumble in my head as I was like experiencing it that I think just sort of it, it, it threw me off more than it actually helped me to sort of fully like that transformation as to how you were seeing things the way they were as opposed to how they were in Senua's head um, and then whether she's having that realization too or not um, which I think maybe is part of the other aspect of it that I wanted to know a little bit more of um, and maybe the very ending answers that I don't know but um, but I, I think from a narrative perspective, one of the other things I really liked was I did really like that the Odin stones, uh, I think they actually call them cairns, right? Uh, that you find in the environment and you focus on them and then it's telling you chunks of, it's telling you chunks of the, of different mythologies. Kind of each area is telling you the story of a different mythological creature that had a struggle and kind of overcame the negative things um, and came to a conclusion that maybe wasn't like a happy ending, but it was an ending, right? Um, I thought that was interesting how that kind of permeated through each each kind of level. I had no idea what the point of those were until right now. I'm like, why is this game just dumping all this Norse mytholo mythology on me? I do not care. I want to know what's going on with Senua. But 
Now, thinking about it, yeah, they were all different mythological creatures, and that makes a lot of sense. I just didn't see the parallel when I was playing the game. Yeah, and, and, and then I think it's also interesting, and I, I've, I've meant to try to look it up, um, but so each of the stones, when you look at them, has a ring around them with a bunch of different runes, and you notice kind of as you get a little bit deeper into the game that different runes of those are lighting up as you're seeing all these different stones. Uh, and then near the end of the game, you go through kind of like a portal that has uh, runes in the circle lit up, and it kind of shows you how far you made it. And I missed four of them total throughout the game. And I thought that was interesting because apparently if you do get all of those lore pieces of all of those different, like, I think it's like five or six different mythological Norse mythological stories uh, that apparently that you get a different ending in the game, having all of that, uh, having experienced all of those stories in their completion, which I thought was also an interesting touch. Interesting, but like it would have been such a slog to get all of them. Like I'm much happier just looking it up on YouTube than spending any extra time going through the environments. I thought the narrative was pretty interesting. I liked the tale, but to me it felt a little disjointed and I struggle with anything that resembles non-linear storytelling. Like I like all of my story pieces to line up and I want everything to be tied up in a nice tidy bow Guy Ritchie style at the end of it. So mostly I liked the narrative, but I just, I struggled with it being disjointed. Like sometimes with the cutscenes, I couldn't always like hear exactly what was being said. And I, I was just too much work for me to kind of piece it all together. Is, is that why Jackie Brown is your favorite Tarantino movie? Yeah, it's, it's one of the reasons. Yeah. It, it's a very well-crafted story and it all comes together nicely. And it was just a good movie. And Casey, you were wrong. You were wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> I, hey, I'm not saying it wasn't a good movie. It's a very good movie. It just didn't deserve to be number three or whatever the heck you had it. <laughs> yeah, boy, I've got to find some better movie people to do shows with me, except for my wife. She's perfect, even <laughs> if she thought that uh, Lockstock was better than Man from Uncle, which it's not. But <laughs> I, I will agree with you, though, that I think from a pacing perspective, there's different times where either the puzzles got in the way of slowing down, like progressing the narrative, or there was just some weird, unnecessary just bits that kind of like worked their way in. Uh, overall, I did enjoy the story and I like the journey that you go on. I'm really curious, especially seeing the trailer for, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's not Senua's Sacrifice, it's Senua's something. It's much more like like ominous sounding. And if you watch the trailer for the, the, the sequel, uh, she looks like she's very different <laughs> in that game compared to what she is in Senua's Sacrifice. And so I'm really curious what they do with that and, and, and what like that means for, I guess, her mental state moving forward and, and what is this new journey that she's going on. Uh, so I am compelled to sort of see not just where the story develops, but also like how the gameplay develops. Are they going to be able to do more complex things with the, with the battle system? Are you going to have maybe different equipment that you switch at times to just give you a little bit of variation, more different types of enemies, more different types of environments. Like, like what are those other things that's going to drive you to keep playing this next journey with her? I can't see myself structuring a show around it. So Burns, I hope you play that experience and tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds overly negative. What are our overall thoughts and takeaways? I guess since I led with that super negative thought, as a game, I didn't think that Hellblade was that interesting. I thought the combat was lagging. I didn't think the exploration was great. But as an experience, as like a piece of interactive art and like an experience and getting to have some sort of uh, flavor for what psychosis is like and what people who suffer psychosis go through. I thought it was super interesting. So I'm glad that it exists and I'm really glad that we played it. It's uh, just a fascinating thing to do. But for me, as a game, I was just a little bit, I think, lower on it than you guys. Yeah, uh, for me, it's really tough to grade. You know, parts of it I loved. I love the narrative. I love the production. Gameplay itself, in the end, was just kind of so-so. You know, the fights and the puzzles were both exciting in the beginning but towards the end of the game just got really stale and it was the same thing over and over again uh the pacing for me in this game was the big issue that and we kind of hinted at it before but like you know, there's just so much 
pointless running from A to B. And like, even afterwards, you'd, you'd beat a boss, and instead of like just getting teleported back to some area or something, which easily could have been done, they force you to run all the way back through the environment to, to this other area. And it's like, I don't want to do that after I just got <laughs> done smashing and bashing on a boss. You know, like, let me hop right into the next area right away. I don't want to run through an environment that I've already seen as cool as the environment was. Um, so that, that was my big struggle with it. And like <laughs> the medium, which we you know talked about in a different podcast, it, it had some of the same struggles with it where you get to a part and then you, you're again, running through these things and you have to go over a freaking balance beam. And I don't understand, like if you put a balance beam in, in a game, I'm never going to play it after this because I, I think they're, it's like you're running, you're running, running. Oh, look it. There's a chasm. Let's not put a bridge here. Let's put a little balance beam over top of it. Cause I have to <laughs> slow down and just like ease my way across. Like at, at least in this game, like they actually put like, you could fall off of it every once in a while. You had to actually use focus in a couple of them, but like, it just after six hours of smashing people and running, and then you get to this balance beam, you're like, really? I got to do this? Like, yeah, it just was super annoying. But anyway, um, I just think the game in the end could have been a six-hour game, a really yeah. good six-hour game. Instead, they added four hours of unnecessary fluff and running and filter, and it was just like, yeah. So... I don't know, but like, like I said, it's really hard because there were so many things about it that I actually did love, and playing through like in, into separate. So I, I played it probably like two to three hours at a time, and by the end of those two-hour sessions, I was ready to be done. And I, the narrative for me was really the only thing that kept me going. Yeah, I, I think you hit that like on the head. There was, I, I don't typically get this way in games but there were a couple of points um in this game where i'm just like i was just literally thinking in my head i'm bored <laughs> like and and i was actually really interested in the story and interested in, in like where this was all going but there was just some times where like, i'm just not interested in what i'm doing right now like help me get to the place where I do more interesting things and see where this is going. And I think you nail it on the head. I think this is a really, really, really fantastic six hour game, but it's spread out throughout a 10 hour, 12 hour experience that it would have tightened some of those pieces up. And there's, there's a point later on in the game where it does just jump you to the next spot. You don't have to, do this stuff to re-navigate like an area that you already went through when you normally would have had to have. And it's like, thank God for that, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, this was, this was a tough one because there's some aspects of this game that I really like and, and I think are fantastic. And I would like to see more games mess around with like facial animation and just sort of mental health and, and a lot of those aspects of it and getting you, I, I love games that get you into a mindset that you're not in and put you in a situation to understand what that's like, because that is one of the most powerful things you can do for a person is to get them to see life from a different perspective so that they can understand why other people are maybe the way that they are. Um, not just games, but any medium in general, if they can challenge your, your worldview to some extent, like that is a really good thing. Cause more people need to fricking look outside their head and see that. Um, and so I think that's really important. Uh, but there's other aspects of this game that just kind of fall short of the mark a lot. And so it's really hard. I'm still conflicted as to what I really feel about this game. I'm excited for a possible sequel because I think a lot of the stuff could be tightened up or there could be new things added that could make it a much more interesting experience from all the way from point A to point Z. Uh, but in this game, it just, it, it fell short in spots. Well, let's talk about where we'd value this game. We typically wrap up with some sort of buy it, rent it type discussion. If I had paid, I think this game released at retail for $40. I would have been disappointed if I had made that launch, that initial day one purchase. As much as I want to support 
creative projects and like teams that are doing different things, my resources are very finite. So I need to be very picky. So for me, this fits perfectly on Game Pass. This is an experience that I'm glad that I had, but I would have been frustrated if I had paid even $20 out of pocket for it. But having it included in Game Pass, a service that I was already paying for, thank you, Microsoft, for making this happen for us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Casey, what are your thoughts on like the value point for this game? Oh, I 100% agree with you. It's definitely not a $40 game. Um compared to some of the other titles out there that you could get for $40 now, I'm sure like this, it just can't hold a candle in some aspects. But that being said, like we've hinted at, you know, the, the production itself, like all the different things that they did visually with this game is, it's pretty phenomenal, especially for it being a little bit older. Um, I would recommend it. I know like my brother played it. He enjoyed aspects of it as well. Um, I think it is one where you could <laughs> you you could definitely play it and I think you would you would get some some fun out of it and and for the price on Game Pass you you can't beat it. I mean I just renewed my membership like this is if anybody's doing Game Pass I want to say this out here if you're like mine if I would have yeah let me say it. so I bought a game pass or a uh, xbox gold card which is you know not game pass ultimate but if you let your game pass membership lapse and then you do you renew it so you can buy three years worth of xbox gold put that on there after it lapses then you can upgrade it again like if it's the first time you ever do it it's a dollar so you'll get three years of Game Pass Ultimate for $150 if you buy three cards and then you upgrade it for a dollar. You can do the exact same thing uh, if you let your account lapse and instead of a dollar, it's only $15. So I just upped, upped another year. So I got a full year of Xbox Ultimate for $65. Like how, how can you beat that? 200, 300 games, like new, new titles, like Game Pass is insane and it's just getting better. So like... I don't know why you why you wouldn't get it honestly if you have an Xbox or like now I even saw that they're starting to put it on on TVs possibly so that it's being built mm-hmm. into television sets so all you're gonna need is a controller and sixty five bucks and you have access to three hundred games I mean it's insane. Well, I'm not gonna get into my very complicated <laughs> and maybe more so negative views about Xbox Game Pass because uh, this is not the time or the place to get into that debate, but. Uh, this was actually one of those so when when this game won uh i was going to shock horror play it on playstation uh because i had actually thought i had purchased it already on playstation uh i was actually shocked that when i went onto my system i didn't ever buy it uh because it was one of those that i was always i'd see it on sale and i'd be like oh okay it's only twenty dollars i think it's worth it at that point but i never pulled the trigger um and Oddly enough, like I would probably still say that that was the right choice. I think twenty dollars is probably a fair price at this at this point. So, like in my typical buy at full price, buy on a sale, rent it, whatever. I would say it's it's definitely worth buying on sale. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where it definitely could have been a a much a much better game. Um, and, and yeah, if you have if you have Game Pass, you, you definitely should give it a try. If it if it if it doesn't land with you, you know, then just delete it and move on to the next game. Yeah, and if you do have Game Pass, you should really consider backing OIO and playing some of these games with us. We are trying to build a fun community here. We do Game Pass Forever every month. Casey and Joey do it out of the goodness of their hearts. And uh, we have a nice Discord community built around OIO, so we could play these games together, we could talk about them, and it's a surprisingly good time. We'd love to get some more feedback and some more perspectives to include in these discussions. Next month for Game Pass Forever, we will be playing Enter the Gungeon. Enter the Gungeon is a bullet hell dungeon crawler following a band of misfits seeking to shoot, loot, dodge roll, and table flip their way to personal absolution by reaching the legendary Gungeon's ultimate treasure. The gun that can kill the past. That was pretty good for never having read it before. Well done. Yeah, clean. 
Uh, Casey, you suggested this game for Game Pass Forever. Do you have any thoughts on why it stood out to you? I just looked really fun. Um, I don't know, dungeon crawling, shooting it up, getting some loot. It's kinda not really anything that we've similar to anything that we've played so far. So should should be a different experience, and and I'm looking forward to props, uh, possibly playing some co-op with you guys too. Oh, I had no idea that it would be co-op. That'll be cool to check out. Again, if you enjoy this content, please back Outside is Overrated on Patreon. This segment, Game Pass Forever, is tied to a specific tier of support on Patreon. You can back the show for as little as $2 a month, but if you go all in at $10 a month, you get an extra podcast from Tom and Joey and another random friend each and every month. Check it out at patreon.com slash OIO. Thank you so much for listening to Game Pass Forever. I almost forgot which show we were doing right here. <laughs> we'll be back next month to talk about Into the Gungeon. Stay inside, kids.